0: Theology of the Body Institute. This is
1: the Ask Christopher West Podcast.
0: welcome back everyone to our podcast I am here with my wife Wendy as usual
1: happy to be here with you today
0: I wonder if anyone can recall what movie that line comes from I, I'm quoting movies all the time and I just said as usual oh. and that's just like par for the course for me like I have all these movie lines in my head absolutely and they just pop out that was totally random I wasn't planning on saying it but as usual mm. if anyone knows what that what movie that is from then you send us a note go to com and you let me know what movie that came from and if you are right
1: well, this is a challenge
0: yeah if you are right i will send you a special gift i don't know what that gift is yet but what You'll the heck will come up with something i'll come up with something
1: okay yes <laughs> well that's great i guess i'm disqualified cuz i i you, know you what know, that's cuz
0: i use that line you quite do a use bit.
1: it a bit okay
0: <laughs> and my sister Emily, if she's listening, you're disqualified. That's right, and right. um, you may not answer this question.
1: <laughs> so you know, when you give talks, a lot of a lot of our listeners have heard you give talks. Not all, of course, but many have. And I think sometimes when you when you kind of break into song, it kind of surprises people because yeah. there's a little like, oh. He's singing. (laughs) Thing that goes on it.
0: Yes, movies and music. And music, absolutely. And when we
1: first got married, we purchased an amp that you could plug a microphone and guitar into.
0: Right.
1: And you started singing at some bars and restaurants. Yeah. What do you remember about that?
0: Well, music has always been a humongous part of my life from the earliest of ages I can remember. But I didn't realize until much later in my life the spiritual significance Mm -hmm. of it, that all forms of art, but I think music in a particular way, is a window into your heart, into your interior life. Yeah. And when I first started meeting Father Jim for Spiritual Direction 14-whatever years ago, one of the things he asked me was, what was your prayer life like, and I said, one of the biggest distractions I have was I hear music in my head all the time. And he he said, why do you think that's a distraction? Have you ever thought that that might be the way God is, is trying to speak to you? Mm-hmm. I had never never really connected those, those dots before, but mm-hmm. it changed the way I understand prayer because there are some, this is a quote from Pope Benedict XVI, I think I got it from him he says there are there are places in the heart there are such deep mysteries that can only be expressed through song wow and that that's been certainly true to my experience not only does it become there's a two-way street here like music can tap into those places like i might be listening to a song on the radio and it taps that place or I could have that place tapped in my heart and music comes out mm-hmm. so it, it when i started teaching 25 years ago i wasn't regular, <laughs> regularly singing in my presentations it wasn't mm. a it wasn't oh i'm going to incorporate music but no over, over the course of time as i've matured in my own interior life i get to a place where i'm teaching and what i'm trying to teach can only be expressed through song, or it's expressed more profoundly through song. I remember a student said to me, a priest, he was a Byzantine priest. He was at one of my courses years ago, and he said, he was commenting about this, my breaking into song, and he said, Christopher, he heard from a, a ancient kind of Byzantine wisdom. He says, I want to pass this on to you. He says, there's an old saying in the Byzantine church, that a truth that does not sing is a truth betrayed. Wow. And that that really I'll never forget that a truth that mm. does not sing is a truth betrayed.
1: That's awesome.
0: Yeah, I always do. I always encourage my students. what what's your favorite music? What's the mm-hmm. music you grew up listening to? What's the music that speaks to your heart? There's yeah. a We all have a soundtrack that has accompanied our lives. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really revelatory. It reveals something profound mm-hmm. about us. God's native, Language is song. Wow, he sings. that's what he that's how he and the greatest book in the Bible, the one that's right in the middle of the book, the one that's the favorite book of all the greatest saints is the song of all songs. God is singing a love song to us and mm-hmm. all of creation is singing this song. and I like to say the the goal of the Christian life is to to learn how to listen to that music and sing back and dance in step to it.
1: I just had a memory yeah? when we were not yet dating, but we were friends. And we were, I was in college at Catholic U. I think you had graduated from mm-hmm. college by then. But I had a crush on you. <laughs> um, and I remember getting an idea that I could um, bring you and your friends who had a band to perform at my
0: college. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember this.
1: college. And that was the, the first time that I just sat in, you know, kind of an a setting like that, which was you were performing with the band and I'm sort of in the audience, mm-hmm. you know. And, oh, my heart was just stirred with love as you poured out from within you. And you're singing there and you kind of talk to the audience sometimes about where the songs came from. Some of them were originals and some of them... Were they all yeah. originals? Uh no. no, I remember
0: doing a song by one of my favorite bands, The Alarm. Oh yeah. At that. That's right. But I remember my voice couldn't hit the high notes. I was cr- I couldn't, couldn't <laughs> I pull right it up. I had lost my voice.
1: But you know, over the years, as I mentioned earlier, you've you've played in in bars and restaurants when we were first married, and different times you've had those opportunities, depending on where we were living and what you know how busy our schedules were at different times in our lives. But most recently, you've started playing again with our son, playing the drums. Isaac plays drums and piano and uh, has been working on music with his dad now for a while. And and then another son of ours has gotten in the act a few times just to sing a little. Mm-hmm. Our daughter has done some ukulele and singing, and it's quite an exciting experience for me as the wife and mother of this group just to enjoy receiving all your your gifts coming out it's been an
0: absolute blast for me i I never really thought that i would be in a band again at some point it was a big part of my life as a teenager and in my 20s and here i am almost 50 and i'm in a band again it's it's absolutely thrilling (laughs) and to pass it on to see how isaac has really taken to it has been a great thrill he I remember sitting him down, remember he was probably three years old, and I sat him down at the drums, and I realized, oh my gosh, this kid has rhythm. Yeah. And I said to him, Isaac, one day, uh, when you're old enough, we're going to start a band together. And, and that day came about a year ago, and we've been learning lots of songs and playing at a, a pub in town, and it's been an absolute blast. Mm-hmm.
1: It has. I love it. Some of my favorite things to look forward to are those Thanks, nights. Love. Yeah, thank you. I know it's a lot of work, so thank you. So can I jump into a question from one of our listeners? This is a question from a listener named John who says, Dear Christopher and Wendy, thank you so much for this podcast. I had a quick question I'm hoping I can get some insight on. As someone who has been raised Catholic but is feeling kind of stagnant and shallow in his faith, how would you discover a passionate love for Jesus? I don't think I've ever had this. I often wish I had the passion that many converts have, but I find myself struggling to bridge what my mind knows to what my heart feels. I know this is not marriage and family related, but I could say this might help my marriage and family.
0: Absolutely, it puts it'll a little help your wink marriage in and family. Yes, yeah, so. and it is passion related. There you go. And we got to get in touch with our passions. Not everything. This is really important, actually. Theology of the body. It's so important to understand. Is not just a reflection on on married life. it has lots of things to say about married life, but it it really is a way of understanding what it means to be human and if we 're not in touch with our passions, we are not in touch with our humanity so I, I love this question what 's his name again John John bless you, John, for asking that question. I could go on no 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 ni known on this one <laughs> but for the sake of uh, our little window in the podcast to answer this. Here's what I'm going to say John, if you want to get in touch with a passion for Jesus, all you need to do is get in touch with whatever you are passionate about. What stirs your heart? What are you interested in? What sets you on fire? What pulls at your heart like a magnet? What gets you excited? What gets you out of bed in the morning? What are your hobbies? Where do you spend your time? Is it is it music? Is it hunting? Is it, are you a, a coffee fanatic? Are you totally into to hiking or fishing or, or do you love planting a garden? What is it about life that gets you excited? What stirs your passions? And here is the glory of our faith. Our faith is universal. It has implications for everything. And guess what else it means? It means whatever you're interested in, if you go to the bottom of it, you're going to find passion for God. You're going to find the mystery that we call the logos. In English, we say the word was made flesh. The Greek is the logos was made flesh. And logos means meaning. It means the logic behind everything, it means the mystery behind everything, the purpose behind everything, the reason behind everything. What's at the bottom of a cup of coffee? It's going to sound strange to say it, but it only, it's only going to sound strange because we don't really think with a Catholic worldview. But at the bottom of your cup of coffee, or at the bottom of your passion for fishing, or gardening, or drinking beer, or whatever gets you excited, is the Logos. He's in everything and holds everything together. and he is the reason for everything, the reason behind everything, the reason in everything. Just the other day, I was sharing a story with someone in our lives who shall remain nameless. And I was talking about having watched this show cooked that I've mm-hmm. I've talked about in a previous podcast. It really caught my fancy. And there's this mystic cheese nun mm-hmm. in this series who sees, Jesus in cheese. That's where she sees Jesus. Yeah. And it's real. I'm telling you, if you love cheese, it's because what you're really looking for is Jesus. Get passionate, but get more passionate about what you're really passionate about. Mm. And go to the bottom of it, John. And I'm telling you, at the bottom of everything that excites us, at the bottom of everything that grabs at our passions and awakens them. You're going to find the logos. You're going to find whispers of the word. You're going to find whispers of the mystery. And when you have a real sacramental view of the world, you can pass over from the visible to the invisible. Where are you passionate? Those are your windows to the ultimate object of all our passion and desire. So, John, in sum, get more passionate about what you're already passionate about, And keep going with it, and it will become a passion for Jesus. And in some ways, it already is. We just don't know it or don't know how to describe it that way or understand it that way.
1: Would you think that John should or could then speak to Jesus about his passion? Or as he's pursuing this passion, is there some step to take to—he even used this word bridge in his Mm -hmm. um, question, like to to make that pass over— into the logos, you know, that's expressed in this other thing, you you know, what, is there a response of the heart as you see the Lord there? How do you come to meet him or to acknowledge him or, you know, do you know? Yeah, I know what you're getting at.
0: I think it's important. It's a, it's not an easy journey to get in touch with our passions in the right way. And also I would say, The journey of finding Jesus in our passions is also a journey of the purification of our passions.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. I'm not saying, let's take a husband who loves to golf, but he does it obsessively and is skipping out on his marital duties and responsibilities and leaving the wife and the kids every weekend to go golfing. I'm not saying. This guy should say, well, I'm, I'm going to find Jesus in golfing. It's, you know, <laughs> fooey to you, wife and kids. We can get disordered in our passions, mm-hmm. right? But nonetheless, even our disordered passions are an indication of the kind of beings we are. We are creatures of, of passion and longing and desire. There is a book I read by James K.A. Smith that I'd really recommend to you, John, the book is called You Are What You Love. I, th- I think I have the title right. And it's really a reflection on Augustine's journey and how his passions got him totally in trouble for years and years of his life. And that's typically what happens. They do get us in trouble. But as Augustine got to the bottom of his passions, as he kept searching, kept looking, he realized all along he was looking for the Logos. Uh, you asked Wendy about should he talk to Jesus about it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I would also say, Jesus is going to talk to you. Mm -hmm. It's a two-way street that we can just present to the Lord. Lord, I I have these desires for X, Y, and Z. How can I find you in them? That's just a good place to start. But also, we eventually come to realize that in these passions we have, he's been speaking to us our whole lives. Mm -hmm. He's been wooing us. And that's back to what we were talking earlier about music. I had no idea my passion for music my whole life was a way that God was really wooing my heart. And I had to, through purification, I had to kind of fine-tune my hearing to recognize the logos in the music. But he's, he's there. He's really there. And we can enter into a two-way conversation. Mm.
1: I hope that's helpful I to hope many of us yeah I think John you voiced a question that many people share so thank you I have a question from Natalie it's a short question she asks why does St Paul speak so negatively about marriage and sexuality
0: Well Natalie I can guess where you're speaking of or what you're referring to there are some passages in 1 Corinthians 7 where It can seem out of context, if you just pull a couple of these lines, that Paul's pretty negative about marriage. He says things like, I wish you would remain unmarried as I am, and I wish to spare you the troubles of marriage, and things like that. So it can seem negative. John Paul II says a lot about this in his Theology of the Body, and I would point you in that direction. I would urge you to read, and if I can think from memory Where is it? It is. I can tell you exactly where it is. It is in subsection two of chapter three of part one of the Theology of the Body. Wow, that's amazing. In which I've been doing this for 25 (laughs) years, (laughs) I'm pretty familiar with the text. Uh, in that, I can't tell you the page number, but I can tell you the section. Uh, in that section. St. John Paul II is reflecting on St. Paul's comments that you, I would believe, Natalie, this is what you're referring to in 1 Corinthians 7. And John Paul II says, when you look at the overall presentation in context, there is no need to conclude that Paul has a negative evaluation of marriage. But the key is to to look at it in context. Not only the context of the whole letter to the Corinthians, where he was he was actually responding to questions in the town. This is what many biblical scholars tell us, that people were asking Paul questions like, is marriage evil, right? And so people had this idea that Jesus is coming any day now, and it's better, you know, there's going to be a heavenly marriage, and marriage is just a sign of something that points to the ultimate reality. And if that ultimate reality was coming in a few days or a few months, that paints the picture a little differently. Most of those early Christians, Paul himself included, give the impression that Jesus is coming back really soon. Mm-hmm. And this is why he might say, hey, here's my advice. And he does say this. He says, this is not a command from the Lord. He makes these distinctions in 1 Corinthians 7. This is not a command from the Lord, but this is my own personal advice. I suggest you remain unmarried as I am. You know, things like that. So it has to be read in that context. Also has to be read in the context Of, say, other letters of Paul's, for example, Ephesians 5, where Paul says marriage is a great mystery that reveals the mystery of Christ's love for the church.
1: That's also St. Paul.
0: That's also St. Paul. So he uses marriage as the main image for understanding the sacred, the holy, the divine. Uh, Even more specifically, he's using the marital embrace. The two become one flesh, he says. This is a great mystery. He uses the marital embrace John Paul II says as a way for understanding the most profound spiritual truths. Mm-hmm. So we do not see when you look in context you do not see a negative evaluation of marriage. Another key line that John Paul II points out in his reflections on 1 Corinthians 7 is where Paul says, I'm not saying any of this to restrict you. Some have one gift and the some others have another gift. And John Paul zooms in on that word gift, which is charism. And a charism is specifically a gift of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Some people have the charism, the gift of the Holy Spirit, of remaining celibate for their lives. Others have the gift, the charism, the gift from God mm-hmm. to be married. It's not unusual when I'm giving a presentation for someone to say to me, you really preach the gospel with, with passion. Do, you know, Maybe you should have been a priest. And, and I say, well, I, I, I did discern if I was called the priesthood, and it became very clear that my gift, my charism, mm-hmm. that means my path to holiness is marriage. So, Paul, those are words right out of Paul. So, I'd urge you, Natalie, go back to Paul, read them in context, and check out in subsection two of chapter three of part one of The Theology of the Body, where John Paul II unfolds this. Excellent. Bless you, Natalie.
1: Yes. I have a question now from Michelle. She says, hi, Christopher and Wendy. First off, thank you so much for everything you do. You're welcome, Michelle. And for starting a podcast. You're welcome, Michelle. TOB and many of your resources have blessed me and my marriage. So glad. She says she watched the video series, the four-part video series you have the Theology of Mary's Body, Hidden Mysteries of Our Lady oh, yeah, of Guadalupe. Oh, yeah, yeah. A
0: little thing I did on uh, Facebook, and then it's on YouTube, yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: She says it was wonderful, and she has a question related to that. Great. Okay. My question for you is, if you could share your perspective on the symbolism of Our Lady of Guadalupe's eyes. Mm-hmm. She says, I know this is a new discovery with modern technology, but I haven't been able to find out very much about it and would love to hear your thoughts. She says it seems to be a very important message about the family for our current times.
0: So, Michelle, I wish I had some real expertise here. I do have some books on Our Lady of Guadalupe where I have read a little bit about what's in Mary's eyes on the tilma. And apparently she can see, you can see images of Juan Diego in there. You can see images of the bishop in there. In other words, you're seeing what Mary was that is just yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. It is it does kind of boggle the mind. Oh. And you and you realize there's there's how could this possibly be something that was painted by human hands oh. into the Tilma? Uh,
1: is it like like when you look really closely in a, another person's eye that it's like a mirror? Yeah, is that sort of what that's, her eye I is think like, that's like a mirror? What
0: it's basically saying, yeah. Wow. I remember this experience on this note. Actually, back to the music thing. I wrote a song about this. Mm-hmm. Remember? When we were newly uh, falling in love, and and I was looking in your eyes, and I saw my own reflection mm-hmm. in your eyes, that became a lyric in a song that I wrote later on. Anyway, the point is this: the eyes are very revealing. And Michelle, there are there are mysteries there in the Tilma that I don't think we'll know till eternity. But I, I think of eyes as a window to the soul, and In those eyes of Our Lady of Guadalupe, we have a window into her soul, and we can see in those eyes the tenderness of her love for Juan Diego. Uh, We can see, by extension, the tenderness of her love for each and every one of us. Uh, I'm I'm reminded of something St. Augustine said, that the deepest desire of the human heart is to see another and to be seen by that other's loving gaze. And I think in the eyes of Our Lady of Guadalupe, in what science has been able to tell us, a kind of scientific view of the tilma that revealed these reflections in Mary's eyes. And I think we become kind of, if I may say so, eyewitnesses mm. to Mary seeing, not just seeing in the physical sense of seeing, but in that deeper, we long to be seen. We are seeing Mary, seeing Juan Diego. Hmm. I think that's a source of some profound meditation for us. I remember certain times in my life where I was caught in a gaze of, of it just happened today, actually, I was having a breakfast with my older brother, and I saw him, like, and he saw me seeing him, and I saw him seeing me. And it's an amazingly vulnerable thing, yeah. eye contact.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: our son, John Paul, is, is a student at Ave Maria University. And we went down a little while ago to see him in a Shakespeare performance. And he said the, the acting coach was encouraging all the actors to make eye contact yeah. with the audience. and And it's a little unnerving. Because we're we're so used to just turning away, mm. uh, eye contact makes us very vulnerable. So connected, yeah. We get we get connected that mm. way, and so anyway, Michelle, I think that's what we're seeing in Our Lady mm-hmm. Guadalupe's eyes.
1: And I have not, but you have been to Mexico City before. Yes, You've I've seen been. The tilma.
0: I've been twice to see the tilma, and going again. In fact, the Theology of the Institute is leading a pilgrimage mm-hmm. to Mexico. Uh, to see the Tilma, and we'll be there on the feast day this year of St. John Paul II. So if if any listeners out there are interested in joining us, uh, please prayerfully consider coming with us to Mexico City. We will be there from October 18th to the 23rd of this year, 2019. You cannot really, it's not the same thing seeing images of it. It's not the same thing reading books about it to see it with your own eyes, to enter into the Mexican culture, which we will be doing during our time. And I'll be giving some some in-depth reflections, catechesis on the meaning of the tilma, on the meaning of how the tilma really reveals the theology of our bodies. It's what it it is. It's the Mm. proclamation of the theology of the body written right into the language of the Aztec Indians in that tilma. So if that's of interest to people out there, I'll just throw that out there. You can learn more just by going to the link that we'll put in the show notes.
1: Okay, I have a question from Susan, who asks, what is the difference between our soul and our spirit?
0: Ah, Susan, good one. <laughs> I would urge you to look up in the catechism. It is in the first pillar of the catechism. I can't, I can't give you exact paragraph numbers. I'm pretty sure it's in the 300s. Where it talks about uh, the human being, made in the image and likeness of God, a unity of body and soul, and it does it does reference the distinction between spirit and soul that is in the scriptures. But it also says that the word soul often encompasses the it's it's almost soul is almost a synonym for spirit. Uh, the soul is the spiritual aspect okay. of human nature. But St. Paul does say that the Holy Spirit is a sharp sword that distinguishes between joint and marrow, soul and spirit. You might say that the Spirit, if I could put it this way, the Spirit is the soul of the soul. Hmm. It's the inner essence, if you will, of the soul. The soul is the spiritual principle or the spiritual aspect of human nature, and the Spirit is kind of the inner essence. Of the soul. That would be the way I would, you know, in a quick answer, respond. I hope that's Mm -hmm. good food for thought. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Well, I think that about does it for this episode in terms of our time.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. We're really grateful to all of you listeners for chiming in. As always, if you want to throw your question into the hat here you have as good a chance as anybody that will uh, <laughs> we do get a lot of questions but you have as good a chance as anyone that we will respond to your questions so go to askchristopherwest.com to submit your questions we would love for you to consider taking a free little mini course uh, with me you can go to askchristopherwest.com forward slash free course and i'm thinking of something john paul ii says is kind of a a sign off um He says, we are all called to become what we are, to become what we are. So you are a gift. This is what we want to leave with you. You are a gift. Become what you are. Amen. Amen. Bless you, everybody. Ask Christopher West comes to you from the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione and production by Sounder and Key. Christopher and Wendy hope that the advice shared on this show is helpful to you, but ask you to remember that they are not licensed counselors. If you're facing serious difficulty, you can find a list of trusted psychologists and counselors in the show notes. If you are right... This is a challenge. Yeah, if you are right, I will send you a special gift. Subsection 2 of Chapter 3 of Part 1 of The Theology of the Body.